Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party, we bout to party. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of AEW Unrestricted, Tony Schiavone and Aubrey Edwards. Actually, we call it unrestricted because Aubrey's mouth sometimes is unrestricted. Oh, stop. You've gotten way worse than me. Good to have you. Aubrey, how you doing, girl? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing great. I've learned that I'm a bad influence on you. I think you're now the first one to drop an F-bomb every episode, so... I haven't done it yet. I don't know. Okay. Can we swear on this thing? Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, all right. I'll still do my best not to. Okay. <laughs> As you can tell, Ari Davari has joined us. And how you doing, Ari? Good. I'm in Atlanta right now. I uh, went and checked out uh, the Nightmare Factory. Oh, that was really oh. cool. Yeah, the new the new Nightmare Factory. Uh, beautiful gym, beautiful facility. So I'm really glad I got to go. And QT showed me some of the pictures. I definitely want to check it out. So I'm excited that I got to go see it. That's kind of a QT and Billy Gunn collaboration now, isn't it? And Yeah. So Billy, I didn't know this. Billy has a smoothie shop. Him and his wife own the smoothie shop that's in the gym right next door. So they're all kind of working together. It was really cool. That is very, very cool. Yeah, that is the most Billy Gunn thing I've heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, right. I told him, I said, this is the dream, right? To have a gym and your own supplement shop. He's like, I'm living it and being back on TV, killing it with the acclaimed. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's back on TV. He's got a new catchphrase. He's he's as over as he was in the late 90s. It's pretty great. All right. It's amazing. But let's not talk about him. Let's talk about you. Uh, so you're, you're relatively new to AEW. Yes. You're on TV. You're leading the Trust Busters. You're an incredible wrestler, but you're also helping out backstage. So we've got a lot of talk about today. <laughs> right. So I want to start with uh, Trust Busters. Like, how did that all come together? If some people remember, on a few episodes of AEW Dark, I was uh, wrestling with another guy named Invictus Cash. Uh, he's from your area, from the Seattle area. Yeah, he's a buddy of mine. I've known him for a while. Very good wrestler. He's a fellow Persian man, just like me. We kind of got put together randomly as a tag team, and we were doing a couple darks together, and it was going great. I actually really enjoyed tagging with him. He's a very, he's a bright young kid, you know. Uh, he's from Iran originally. He speaks very good Farsi, which is kind of cool. I thought that was a cool thing going for us, and just been extremely talented in ring. But apparently, Tony wasn't really feeling that for me, and I showed up one day and I found out that I'm tagging with a guy named Slim J. 
As you do. As it, I said, I said, okay, that's interesting. And uh, that day, me and Cash actually had matching gear because we tagged a few times together. We finally went and got matching gear. We're like, all right, we're going to be a tag team. Let's do this for real. And I showed up and I saw, I said, Slim J. I was like, where have I heard that name before? I was like, all right, whatever. And then he comes up to me. He's like, hey, I'm Slim. We're working together. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Like, me and Cash have singles matches. And then Tony shows up later and I kind of talked to him a little bit and he just lays this whole idea on the line for me of the trust busters and Parker Boudreau. And he has ideas for other members, which turned out to be uh sunny kiss and VSK. And it all just kind of happened one day, but that's what led to me getting my full-time job. So, you know, if that's what the boss wants, that's what the boss gets. You know, I think it's always been a very, simple thing in wrestling sometimes people don't understand that that if this is and i really enjoyed tagging with cash and who knows maybe somewhere in the future maybe he can come join the trust busters but it was just tony's idea it's something he wanted to do and it was just kind of presented to me and the funny thing was a lot of it was kind of just some last minute stuff just like hey I, this is what i want you to talk about this is your new name you're in the trust busters and this was like minutes before i was about to go out there and part of me took it as like a test because I get all this information and he's like, all right, go do it. And I go, no problem. You know, I'm going to knock this out of the fucking park first try. And I feel like I did. And I got, to, and I got to the back and he was like, hell yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. Hell yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah. fucking go. Let's fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was the first one to drop the F-bomb. There you go, Tony. Yeah. I think like I was overhearing like him kind of giving you like, okay, well, I want you to touch on this, uh, this promo. And like, yeah. if you could mention crypto, just so you could be like a huge heel. And I'm like, yes, yeah, this right. is dope. And it was with, it, it was with Tony as well too, because he goes, oh yeah, right. after the match, you can do an interview with Tony as well too. And you know, so we got together real quickly and I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to say this, this, and this. And these are the points Tony wants me to hit. And yeah, it was pretty cool. And also when I originally got into pro wrestling, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I started watching WCW first before I started watching WWE or anything else. So doing an interview with Tony Schiavone in the ring was a, like, it was like a little kid dream come true. I was like, oh, wow. shit, being interviewed by Tony Schiavone. I don't know if I ever told you that, but that no, was you a didn't. cool moment for me. Well, that makes it cool for me too, uh, Ari. And I, yeah. I remember that day uh, because I know he had laid out the thing to me. Mm-hmm. And then you guys kind of went over and talked and he said, yep, he's with us. And I went, wow, what, yeah, what, right? what happened? Just boom, just like that. So that, that was the other thing too. He started laying out all this creative and, you know, this is what we want to do with this and this guy and go on and on. And this was before I was working full time with AEW. And I remember as he was laying all this stuff out in my head, I'm like, I hope this is coming with a job because this is a lot, of, a lot of creative. He's laying out right. a lot of plans. He's telling me and things he wants to see. And you're going to go to Minnesota. Like, you're yeah. you're going to have a big match. And I'm like, dude, yeah. that's in like a month and a half from now. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so the whole time he was talking, I just kept going like, I think a job's coming out of this, and I really hope it is. And then later that day, that's when he made the offer and everything. So it was it was a it was a good day, good day in Florida. We're talking to Ari Davari. Of course, you had wrestled. Aria Davari. Yes. And the name change came about what you and Tony talking about how or he didn't just want that. How did that? Yeah, that was just a, it was a small detail. He wanted to change. You know, my real name is Aria Davari. It was kind of cool that I got to wrestle in WWE as my real name and everything. They wanted to capitalize on any sort of buzz anybody had in the Cruiserweight Classic. So they said everyone gets to keep their real names, which is pretty unprecedented because while I was there, guys were getting their names changed and stuff like that. So I kind of thought any moment now they're going to change my name and they never did. And that was just a small detail that Tony really liked. I know he's a big fan of the show Entourage and he's a fan of the character Ari Gold. And Mm -hmm. he's like, oh, Aria, Ari. He's like, I think that's kind of cool. And I actually kind of like that too, because as much as I love using my real name in pro wrestling, it gets butchered all the time. Like ring announcers, commentary, my 
debut on Raw, Michael Cole fucked up my name. It was just <laughs> my name gets butchered all the time. So Ari seems to be a lot easier. People are more familiar with it, so it doesn't get butchered left and right. I never really thought about that, like getting a name butchered and stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that probably solves it. All the time. Uh, Araya Davari, Aria Davari. Like, I understand it's not a very, when you see it on paper, you're kind of like, oh, shit, I'm going to just uh, take the best swing at this I can, you know? So I totally understand. Yeah. Does your phone have the autocorrect problem now where like it, the form says like first name and it's not really sure which one to fill in? Because I have that problem all the time. Yeah. Ari, Aria, you know, and I, I've also misspelled my own name a bunch because I'm a terrible texter. <laughs> so it tried to autofill. Yep. Incorrectly all the time. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I want to talk about your rampage match with Orange because this was absolutely great. It drew a very large rating on Rampage. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that made that match particularly special for you? So the interesting about thing about that is uh I remember I saw the news article. It said like the highest rated rampage since April. You know, it was a long time. And I know there's some people saying what it was leading into Rampage and all that kind of stuff. But the way I looked at it is I think the Trustbusters had enough buzz because that match was announced a few days before. If people were disinterested in seeing that match, they wouldn't have tuned in. As simple as that. And I think a lot of people want to see what these Trustbusters are about. And you're wrestling someone as talented and as popular as Orange Cassidy, who I've known for a long time. You know, I knew him from the independent days and stuff like that. So getting a chance to work with him who's so creative, so different. I was I was very excited to work with him, mainly because of that. A lot of guys, I do feel like these days, do wrestle kind of similarly, or they can fall into similar tropes. Orange Cassidy is a whole different ballgame. I never, I didn't know what I was going to get into, so getting to work with him on the main event of Rampage in my hometown, and knowing it drew a big rating, and knowing it was like my first big opportunity as the Trustbusters, I don't think I could ask for a better debut. I remember that because I remember that it was in your hometown. Yes. Obviously, when we go to someone's hometown, there's going to be a pop for you, right? I mean, people are, are glad to see a hometown guy make it big. Yes. We're talking about, you need to say something disparaging about your hometown. So oh, yeah. they'll boo you when you come out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was right. why we switched. So I, I recently moved to Las Vegas, Nevada. And I told them, I said, I said, hey, I'm from Las Vegas now. No more. Because obviously, just saying I'm from Minneapolis is going to get a reaction. Because that's for the people. The people who do know, they're going to cheer for me. And then when they hear from Minneapolis, Minnesota, the rest of the people are going to cheer. That's so right. I told Justin Roberts, I was like, I live in Las Vegas now. Say I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada. I asked to cut a quick promo before the match, and I, sh I shit all over the town, you know, yeah. which is kind of true because I said, it's too cold here. I'm out of here. I'm going to Las Vegas. <laughs> Screw you guys. So it, it was, uh, it, that was from the heart, you know. So that was the difference between what I, when I debuted, but I wasn't signed against Dante Martin, which was also in Minnesota, right. Tony wanted that feel-good moment. He goes, I want to, yeah, I built this up as a battle of Twin Cities. I want both you guys, you know, representing Minnesota. And that was just like a one-off match. You know, it was, it was literally a year ago. It was last November, last full gear weekend. So he fast forward and he said, you know, I know what you're capable of. I know you've been a bad guy for a long time. So we're in your hometown. Let's see what you can do. And I think it went well. Yeah. As you said, like biggest Rampage rating since April. So congratulations. And not, not that I'm keeping track or anything, but I've oh, noticed- Oh, come on. We been, all keep track. <laughs> <laughs> there's only been one other Rampage that's beaten the episode that I was on, and that was Grand Slam, which I say, hey, that was a, that was a hell of a card, too. Both Dynamite and yeah. Rampage were a hell of a card in Grand Slam. So I, I still kind of like to be like, hey, you know, 
Good job. You know, me, me and Orange Cassidy. Good job. Yeah. If, if people want to give us that credit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, they had like 20,000 and a second right. hour right, and all this. Right, like, right, like there's right. all these like asterisks next to it. But like, really, really, we were the one hour show right. with like the Big Bang lead in. Like, whatever. It was, yeah, right. You can ride that high as long as you want. But I'll be honest, like just real quick on the whole ratings thing. Like, it's fun to joke about and all that kind of stuff. But Honestly, it's, I really feel like some people critique the show, like just they care about that type of stuff a little bit too much. I think we every Friday we put on quality shows. And the best thing about Rampage that I feel like a lot of people seem to be missing the boat on is that we got Dynamite. It's two hours. We put our big main stars on there. Tony is really good about developing the rest of his card. That's the one thing I always liked about even before I got to AEW is something I was noticing. I said he really puts thought and care and spotlight on other talent outside of his like top main event guys. And that's a big part of what rampage is for is giving younger guys opportunities, guys who maybe don't get a main event shows or don't get a lot of time on dynamite. That's what rampage is for is to build up the other guys. And sometimes people are kind of like, Oh, well, it should be the same guys we see on dynamite on rampage. Well, sometimes those guys want to break too. And we have a whole other talented roster that needs to get spotlighted. And I really feel like that's a rampage is for. And if you actually, instead of looking at the numbers of the show, if you watch it on a week to week show, it's quality wrestling the entire hour, the entire time. People are just always looking for something to complain about. But I personally think rampage is just as good of a show. You are right, my friend. And those people can kiss my ass. (laughs) (laughs) That's just my thought on that. No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding. Listen, we got some great fans. A lot of them are really into what we do and really into the business, and we appreciate their feedback. We really do. But you're right on all counts. You really are. And honestly, like, we're there every week. People want to, if they want to complain about, like, the rampages and that, I go, I don't know. The arena was going crazy during the rampage matches, so I I don't know what to tell you. Like, everyone there seemed to really enjoy themselves, so maybe some people on Twitter just need to tone it down a notch. Yeah. I want to ask you about uh, coaching because I know you're coaching, uh, helping out the women's division. Yes. How did that all come about for you? One thing I really like to pride myself on in my wrestling career, and I give a lot of credit to my older brother, Sean, before I even broke into wrestling, he was already in the WWE and he was already, and he knew I wanted to become a wrestler too. So he was always giving me advice that he would get from guys in WWE. And I'm talking legendary guys, Chris Jericho, Undertaker, Sean Michaels, Eddie Guerrero, you know, all those types of guys were giving him advice because he was kind of like a Dante Martin minus all the athleticism. He was a 20, 21 year old in a WWE locker room. He got signed really young. So he was getting tons of advice from these legendary performers. And then he would come home and he would tell me about it. You know, Eddie Guerrero told me this. Chris Jericho told me this. The Undertaker told me this. So I was getting all this information about psychology before I even got into wrestling. And then once I started wrestling, I always kind of kept those things in mind. So I really feel like I have a good grasp on that just because I kind of had a little bit of a leg up. So while I was in WWE, I was always thinking about different ideas and watching people's matches very closely. And I knew it was something I wanted to do. He eventually became a producer at WWE. So I started talking to him more and more about the process and all that kind of stuff. And eventually I started doing it as a trial run there as well, too, before I started with AEW. Pat Buck, who's one of our producers here, he spoke to Tony Khan about it. And Tony even mentioned to me saying, like, I've seen what you do in WWE. I think, you know. I think you're a good veteran leader for some of our younger wrestlers. But like I said, Tony's really good about developing the younger wrestlers, younger talent and asked me and he even said that about like Parker, you know, Parker Boudreaux is in my group. He's like, I think he's really good. He's a young guy. He goes, I think he'll do great. 
kind of learning from you and stuff like that. I said, no problem. And I kind of mentioned, I'd like to do that for all your talent. I would love to help out. So that's how, how that kind of came about. And then I started working with the girls and a big part of this job, I was kind of thinking about this earlier because I knew this question was going to come up. A big part of this job, especially here in AEW, we have such a talented roster that maybe back in like 2004 to 2007 when there's some wrestlers on TV, like some of those guys who were brand new, didn't know anything about wrestling, a producer or an agent, whatever you like to call it, coach, they would have to take those guys by the wrist and plant spot by spot plan exactly what they're doing because they needed that kind of help and without an agent they were screwed here in AEW, we have an extremely talented roster and i'm not just saying that literally from top to bottom our men's division women's division everybody's good and we it's kind of obvious because tony khan really prides himself on you know having banger matches work great his roster is stacked so a producer here i kind of feel like is almost sometimes like reigning talent back just a little bit for their own good. Oh my God, yes. For their own good, you know, because we got so we got some wild, crazy guys who are dedicated and girls who are dedicated to this business. And if you don't rein them back a little bit, they're gonna go out there and potentially kill themselves for the love of the business, which ain't a bad thing to have that mentality, but sometimes you just want to kind of rein it back just a little bit and be like, hey, we got week to week TV. Like, I need you here next week. <laughs> you can't, you know, kill yourself on this show because we need you here next week and the week after and the week after and the pay-per-view after and all that kind of stuff. So being a producer, you just sometimes want to help instill the psychology, make sure some of the old school rules live on while still adding a new school flavor to it. I love it. Absolutely love it. We're talking to Ari Davari here, coach, wrestler, trust buster, all around awesome guy here on AEW Unrestricted. Hey, this is Aubrey Antoni on AEW Unrestricted with Ari Davari. We've been talking a little bit about his coming to AEW, the forming of the Trustbusters, coaching, and I'm sure we're going to touch on all these a little bit more. One of the things you touched on in our first segment was your brother, Sean, and you learned about, you know, mm-hmm. discovered your love for wrestling from him. What were your favorite wrestlers as a kid? My, my answers are always very typical i did start watching wrestling around 98 which is kind of like the highlight of it so when everyone started watching (laughs) a lot of the wcw guys that's where i started so sting you know benoit eddie jericho all those guys and then moving to wwf at the time stone cold the rock undertaker Shawn michaels you know like then once i became a wrestler that list started changing a little bit more but as a fan it was basically all the typical, the typical main eventers, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, NWO, DX. Like I loved all that stuff. Like when me and my brother got into wrestling, like we were all in, all in. You, you trained in Taekwondo and you did some uh, high amateur wrestling as well. Yes. When did you decide that I want to become a pro wrestler? Like I said, me and my brother became fans. You know, he was 14. I was um, nine. We became fans and pretty quickly we both wanted to be pro wrestlers. Him being obviously older, that's why he got to it first. Uh, but we both wanted to be pro wrestlers. We were always wrestling in the backyard and all that kind of stuff. So I started Taekwondo at a very young age, uh, like fourth grade. I got all the way up to my second degree black belt. And that was uh, my sophomore year in high school. I was 16. Damn. That was when my brother started training to be a pro wrestler. So that's when I wanted to start training. Again, he was already in WWE at that time, so he kind of a little bit more foresight, you know, maybe saw the mistakes that he made. He said, hey, about, wait a little bit longer. Why don't you wait till at least your senior year of high school? I said, okay, I can do that. And he said, for the time being, go join the wrestling school because he goes, Lee goes, look at all these great wrestlers who are on TV who have a wrestling background, you know. The funny thing is that's how he kind of sold me. He's like, look at Kurt Angle, look at Shelton Benjamin, Brock Lesnar, as if I'm going to be an iota as good as them <laughs> in amateur wrestling. 
But that's why he's like, look at all these great guys that you like, you know, go do some amateur wrestling. I think it'll help you. I went and did that for two years. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. But again, when you're a fan of pro wrestling and you go to amateur wrestling, there's like a whole episode of South Park about it. You're just like, what is this? Like, this, this ain't what I want to do. I want to be hitting people with chairs and stuff like that. So I did amateur wrestling for two years. And Minnesota is a very competitive wrestling state. So that everyone in my on my team was really good. So it was basically two years of just getting my ass whooped. So after that, I went to my parents and my brother and stuff. I said, look, amateur wrestling is great. My coach is kind of hounding me about coming out for senior year. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to start pro wrestling. Summer break, summer vacation going into my senior year of high school is when I started training to be a pro wrestler. So that was summer of 2006 is when I started. That's crazy. I I also didn't know that, like, you trained with Eric Cannon. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. So at first, there was a wrestling school in Minnesota that Eric Cannon ran. And unfortunately, like a year before I broke in and shut down and then another school opened up. That was just kind of like an offshoot. And my brother was trying to get me set up with Brad Reagans because he kind of helped train Brock Lesnar, uh, Joe Henning a little bit, a lot of like legendary Minnesota performers. But that didn't work out. So this ring that was set up, he reached out to Eric Cannon, who was a he's a Minnesota veteran. He's been around for a long time. He actually broke in right around the same time as my brother. Him and my brother were kind of married in the ring for a long time. I met Eric when I was really, really young because he used to come sleep at our house and stuff like that. He was the next guy. My brother hit him up and said, hey, would you mind training my brother? So we'd go to this wrestling school and we kind of train one on one. And, you know, other guys would come in and out and, you know, they had a head trainer there who kind of showed me the basics. But I give most of my credit to Eric Cannon, who physically got in the ring and helped train me. And then we went on to have, I think, one of the better like rivalries in our Minnesota independence. And we wrestled all over the place. When I had my first match back on the independence, my, my last match on the independence scene was against him. And then my first match back on the independence scene was against him. So anytime he got the opportunity to have like a big match in Minnesota, we always did it. And we almost wrestled at AEW as well, too, just recently when we were in Minnesota. Plans changed, but the original plan was for me to wrestle on dark because, because of that same thing we were talking about. They said, we don't know if we want you to wrestle on TV here because you're going to get cheered. So like they said, maybe we'll just put you on dark and just have your feel good moment. And I looked at, I saw the list of who's going to be there. And I saw Eric Cannon's name. And I said, the only thing me and Eric Cannon haven't done, we've done every type of match. We've killed each other, technical matches, whatever. The only thing we haven't done is wrestled in like a big stage in the target center. And we came so close, but then plans changed. I ended up wrestling Orange Cassidy, which that, that, you know, I was happy with that as well too. But it just would have been one of those small things. I was like, man, we've taken this match all over the horn. It would have been awesome if we got to do it at the target center. So I still give a lot of credit to him. He was, he was really the veteran who like took me under his wing, took me on the road with him, all that kind of stuff. So I give him a lot of credit for my success in this business. We're talking with Ari Davari here on AEW Unrestricted, Tony and Aubrey with you. Ari, your first match, what, 2006, first ever pro wrestling match? Yes. September of 2006. Yeah. What do you remember about your very first pro wrestling match? I get a lot of comments about my wrestling gear. People really like it. And the guy who makes my wrestling gear is by a guy by the name Craven Knight. He is the first guy I ever wrestled. We were kind of in training school together because there was a, that training school where I got trained at, there was like another smaller class. So when Eric couldn't make it or we needed guys to work around with, some of these other guys would jump in with me and we'd work around together. And he was one of them. He was coming up too. So I feel like every school always has like the two-star pupils. And even though it was a small class, like it was obviously us too. So we would work a lot together and stuff like that. There's a guy, I don't know if you guys know, but his name is Eddie Sharkey. He's kind of a legendary trainer from Minnesota. Sure. 
uh, he was he was still putting on shows at First Avenue. At this point, he wasn't getting in the ring training. He was just sitting in a chair kind of watching. And he would just see us rolling around doing drills together. And he would always put on a show. And he asked if we wanted to work on it. He's like, I think you guys are great. You know, I'd like to put you guys on the show, have you wrestle each other. You know, so that was my first match at First Avenue in downtown Minneapolis was against a guy by the name Craven Knight. who's was my gear maker now. He's my friend to this day. And it was a lot of fun. My my brother came. Shelton Benjamin was there. Eric Cannon came. Like, I believe Molly Holly was there as well, too, because my brother's friends with all these people. And he's just like, hey, my little brother's wrestling tonight. Let's all go check out his first match. And my brother to this day tells me, he goes, dude, no joke. He goes, he goes, I really thought you guys are one of the best matches on the card compared. There were some guys on the show who had been wrestling for a lot longer than I have. You know, we were definitely the two new rookies on the show. And he goes, he goes, you guys were. And my brother does not bullshit me. Like he, after that match, I had plenty of matches that he told me sucked. <laughs> so and when I was breaking in, he goes, he goes, he goes, I really thought you did a good job for your first match. And that was like just a little bit of confidence I needed that I feel like just kind of pushed me forward those next 10 years until I finally made it to television. I always love having those people in your life that are brutally honest with you and tell you like, oh, this was really good. But then also tell you like, this was really bad just so that, you know, like, oh, this is what I need to do. You need that because I feel like so many professional wrestlers, you can't sugarcoat things to them because you sugarcoat things to them. We're just going to be like, okay, so it wasn't that bad. You're not going to think about it. Like at the end of the day, it seems like everybody who I talk to, every other wrestler, male, we're all kind of this weird perfectionist. So if you hear one person say like, you could have done this a little bit better, most wrestlers are kind of like eats at them and festers at them. And that's how I really like, you really remember that you go, all right, next time I'm not going to do that. You know? So it's a disservice to lie to them. They're like, oh yeah, it was great. You know, good job. You know, nothing to work on. You no, know, everyone always has something they can work on. Everyone always has something they can improve on a little bit. There's certain guys, obviously, you get to a certain level. It doesn't doesn't really matter anymore because if they're so over with the crowd, like we just want to see you. Whatever you do, we just want to see you. But when you're breaking into the business, it always helps for your coach, your producer, your head trainer, whoever it is. They need to be brutally honest with you because that's how you're going to get better. Absolutely. So did we talk a little bit about your like your WWE run? You big part of 205 Live. Yeah. Uh, did you know that you were going to be a big part of 205 Live when you got signed? No, I had no idea. So when I started talking to WWE, it was around 2014. I did my NXT tryout. It didn't really end up working out doing the tryout, but William Regal was there and he was kind of like my first initial contact with WWE. And I remember he told me about this project in 2014. He goes, he didn't give me the details, but he's like, we have this project we're working on for the network and all that kind of stuff. He goes, I don't know if this is going to happen, but you're one of the guys on my list. And it sounded so vague. That I was like, maybe this is like a bullshit thing. He's just saying to like get this extra away from him or whatever. But he told me that I was like, okay, went and did my NXT tryout. Nothing came of it. I always wanted to be on television. That was my plan. I wasn't, you know, I did indie wrestling. So I knew that was a spot I had. I had to do that to get to where I want to be. But it was never my goal to be like the best independent wrestler. I wanted to get to WWE. I wanted to get to television. So once I had my NXT tryout, it didn't work out. I was about to wrap it up. I said, I'm going to finish up the rest of this year because I, I gave WWE everything I got. They weren't interested. So I'm going to wrap up all my other commitments because I had about, you know, a lot of 2015 booked. I said, I'm going to wrap up all my commitments and I think I'm going to call it good. I think I'm going to quit wrestling. You know, it didn't, it didn't work out how I wanted. So like, it is what it is. And then over that year, WWE reached out a few more times. I went and did some extra work again, even though I didn't, even though I already had my NXT trial, they said, no, they invited me to do extra work. I almost blew it off. Cause I was like, what do I need to go for? I already showed you everything I got. You're not interested. I'm not going to go. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just go. You know, and I guess it never hurts to show your face. 
Same thing happened. A bunch of people gave me a bunch of compliments. Hey, maybe we should send you NXT. I was like, I've already gone. Like, oh, okay. I was like, whatever, waste of time. Hmm. And then a few days later, I got an email saying, hey, we're, it was like called the Global Cruiserweight Series or something like that. I got this email and they said, you're going to be a part of this. We're filming this in June. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. This is my, okay, another opportunity. Right. Well, I went and did the Cruiserweight Classic. It was extremely popular. It was a lot of fun. And when the Cruiserweight Classic was over, I asked someone, hey, is this leading to jobs? Because a few people got jobs out of it. And they're like, you know what? You did a great job. We might do this again next year. So maybe we'll have you back next year for it. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, all right, I guess that's it. I was a personal trainer at Lifetime at the time. And I get a call one day from WWE. This is like maybe a month after the Cruiserweight Classic. Like, are you available this Monday to come to Monday Night Raw? I'm like, yeah, you bet your ass I am. So, you know, I get off work. I go do it. I go do it. And then that's when the scuttlebutt starts where people, I think they're making a cruiserweight show. I think they're doing this, that, and the other, and all this kind of stuff. And again, I go do my raw debut. Everyone gives me praise, all that kind of stuff. No contract offer. And I'm just like, no, what the fuck is going on? Like, all right, whatever. Next week, hey, can you come to Raw next Monday? Like, yes, I can. Week after that, can you come to Raw next Monday? We work on like a pre-show of a pay-per-view. Like, oh, we're doing all this shit. And nobody's saying anything to us about working in WWE. So I'm like, okay, I guess this is it. I'm just a freelance pro wrestler where I'm just going to work on WWE some, on Mondays and I'm back in the gym Tuesdays training my clients. Like it was, it was really weird. Then the 205 Live got announced and it kind of went from there. And then one day we're sitting in catering and we all get emails saying, hey, we want to sign you guys to full-time contracts. And then 205 just took off and all that kind of stuff. But it was a really, it was really weird coming in. They weren't telling us anything. We were just getting booked like extras. But we're also like a part of the show. We're still on Raw, changing the locker room. We're getting to know all the guys. All the guys are asking us, like, you guys work here? We're like, no, technically not. But we're getting a lot of dates, so we will be back next week. So we didn't know what was going on. But once 205 got announced and all that, then the show really hit the ground running from there. Vince was really into it and all that kind of stuff. So it was a weird way to start that. But then 205 became what it was. And yeah, all of us guys were part of that roster. We were very proud of that show, even though it didn't get the love from the fans or even the office that it should have. That roster of guys, we got really tight. A lot of us are really close friends to this day. And we just always busted our asses to make sure we had the best match. And honestly, it's the vibe that I get a little bit from AEW, like the, the tightness of the roster and how well we want to perform. Because in AEW, maybe a lot of people do look at us as like, oh, we're the second company in WWE and 205. Like we're the you know, at that point, we're like the third or fourth brand. So I love that our roster has this mentality. Our roster 205 has mentality. Like, we'll fucking show you. We'll show you guys. You know, you want to call us whatever brand, call us whatever you want. We'll show you we got the talent, that we have the better one. I'm just going to say every once in a while, we would turn on Raw or SmackDown the following week. And we'd see like, oh, someone on 205 just did that. And now we're seeing it on Raw or SmackDown. Interesting. Uh -huh. Some people must really be digging what we're doing. So like I said, people can say what they want to say about 205. That roster speaks for itself. Our body of work speaks for itself. So I was really proud of that show and really proud of all the guys who came from it. The term cruiserweight used to bother you, right? It didn't bother me, but I just never looked at myself as a cruiserweight. When I was on the independent scene, you know, I yeah. never thought of myself as a cruiserweight because, you know, I was the same size, if not a little bit bigger than a lot of guys. On, on the main roster, sure. Yeah. And then when I got to WWE, that definitely I'm a cruiserweight there because that's, you know, kind of the land of the giants. But the only reason I didn't like the cruiserweight label is just the stories I've heard of the boss man himself not being crazy about cruiserweights. Once you're kind of labeled that, it might be hard to get out of that mold. But yeah, I don't know how you take it. On one end, that was my in 
in the company. Cause I always said, I said, the only thing that's going to hold me back from WWE is my size. Like I feel confident in my promo skills. I feel confident in my work. I feel confident in my look. I think I'm ready to be on TV. The only thing that might hold me back is they're going to say, you're not tall enough and you're not heavy enough. So the cruiserweight thing got my foot in the door, got me into WWE. But I knew at the same time, I said, it might be very hard to shed this label. So you just kind of got to take it for how it is. There's there's always a space for small guys. I remember yeah. uh, this last week when we were on Dynamite, we were talking about like, okay, well, we need this guy to be a boy. We need this guy to be a boy for Dalton Kessel because they're all tiny and we can throw them. Yeah. So there's always a space, whether or not it's like in the in the spotlight or not. I'm really glad that there's definitely space for people of all different sizes in wrestling now. I heard a quote. It was like a Kevin Nash quote apparently said, he said, look, there's a spot for everybody in the business. Yep. It may not be top guy. It may not be world champion like we've all aspired. Like I said, a lot of guys my age, I think we all looked up to like Stone Colds and Rocks and this and that. We saw those guys main eventing WrestleMania. He said, oh my God, that's what I want to be. I want to be world champion, main event, all that kind of stuff. That spot's not for everybody, but there is a spot for everybody, if that makes sense. You know, like somewhere on the card, you can find a spot for you and you can have a great career. You can make lots of money. You can be on TV. You can do all that great stuff. It may just not be badass world champion, so you just kind of have to learn to accept that. We're talking to Ari Davari. We got fan questions. We were kidding. We continue on AEW Unrestricted. Welcome back to AEW Unrestricted. Tony Shivani, Aubrey Edwards, Ari Davari is our guest on this episode. Uh, we got some fan questions, but uh, I think everybody who works backstage realized that uh, Ari is one of the more stylish. Uh, wrestlers we have with suits you pat buck and and sanjay uh, apparently have yeah. some sort of uh competition going on there who can look the most i'll give pat buck he always has the most flashy suits i don't know exactly where he gets them if they're custom made but i will say this i've dialed back the suits a little bit because you kind of one thing i like about the aew community is you know it's a little bit more chill here it's a little bit more relaxed what you're wearing to the building doesn't necessarily matter. So right. that's kind of nice. So I've, I've started to dial, especially in these winter months, I've started to dial it back a little bit, a little more hoodie, a little bit more casual, you know. Our boss dress is very casual. So that's how I kind of feel about that. Very good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, lead by example. I'm like, this guy's showing up. Yeah, right. Barely have yeah. his shoes tied. Like, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to just show up in like comfy pants. I'm good. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So we got we got lots and lots of fan questions. We got one from uh, Reggae Mortis. I love that name. So Trustbusters, there's a lot of you in the group. I think there's like five of you now. Uh, which partners would you choose to compete in the trios division? I like what we did originally, you know, working with Slim J because he's a very underrated high flyer. And then having Parker Boudreaux as well, too, just being the big monster that he is. You know, that always kind of helps. You know, he can come save my ass if need be. But honestly, all the members of the Trustbusters, I'll work with any of them because we have Sunny Kiss and VSK as well, too. Two Sunny, especially, extremely underrated, very talented, extremely popular as well, too. Anytime I'm out there with Sunny, the crowd's chanting her name and everything like that. So she is crushing it, you know. VSK as well, too. I know he's our trust butler. People may look at it as like, oh, <laughs> he's a butler. And I go, yo, wait till that butler suit comes off and you watch him wrestle. He's extremely talented. But the original lineup of me, Slim, and Parker, I really like that one just because it's very different. You don't know what you're going to get. You got Parker who's going to beat your ass. You got Slim who's flying all over the place. You got me as well in there who's a veteran in wrestling. So it's a very good combination, but I'll take any of them. I have full confidence in all members of the Trustbusters. 
I think one of the things that uh, Sonny said that I really like is a lot of times you look at a faction and everybody kind of looks the same and has the same wrestling style. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's really unique about the Trustbusters is the difference in sizes and looks and styles and whatnot. So it just creates a lot of different combinations and interesting match types. Of course. And and I think that's kind of about every group. Like when the inner circle first started, it seemed kind of like a random group. Like who, who are these people? Why is Jericho with this person, this person, and this person? Like, I kind of feel like a lot of factions start that way where it's kind of like, what is the menu? Eventually you learn the story of why they got put together, why I brought these people in, you know, and if I've explained it before, I said, these are all people. I'm accumulating talent of people who I don't think are getting their love. I don't think Parker Boudreaux was given the opportunity. He should have. It seemed like they kind of gave up on him quickly. Uh, BSK and Slim J are, and throw Sonny in there too. Three people have been grinding really hard. And I feel like just weren't getting their, their just dues in this business, knowing that they're very talented. So I'm glad the people in the trust busters who are being brought up are the people who were chosen. At Wyatt wants to know if you could look at the women's division of all the current wrestlers in the women's division and pick maybe one that could be in the trust busters. Who would it be and why? Mm. Well, I feel like we've had some success with having, you know, a big monster like Parker Boudreaux. So I, if I had to pick one, I think I'd go with Jade. I think I would take the undefeated champion sure. who could definitely kick some ass, maybe kick Parker's ass even, <laughs> you know, like she's, she's undefeated. But honestly, there's, there's a lot of girls, Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, Tony Storm. Right. You know, I would pick any of them as well, too. But if I had to go with one, I think I would just go with like the undefeated dominance of Jade. Good call. Right. Why would you not want to add the undefeated person to your right, to yeah. your faction? Right? right. Plus the whole like money background. Like I know she's yeah. she's kind of coming from that. So it's it just works. It writes itself. I don't know who's listening into this podcast. Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we have a question from Kaylee Etheridge. Do you wish you could have had more opportunities to work with your brother? Yes, I, re- I really do. We just seem to always miss each other just because our careers were just always at different points. Like when he left WWE in 2008, I was only like a year and a half into the business. So when someone's fresh off TV, they're going to independents that are giving him lots of money. I'm not making a lot of money in the business at that point. That didn't work. The only times we got a tag then is if he did him, like if he did me a big favor, he's like, hey, I'll take a low payday to come to this independent show so we can tag together. Um, so we did that a few times. We went to India and did Rinka King, which is kind of an offshoot of TNA, but they're filming in India. That's where we really got to tag together and do some TV experience, got some good footage together. And I was more, I was more experienced then. So it was working really well, but that was just a short two week TV taping. And then we did a handful of independents and that was about it. When I got to WWE before he was a producer, I went to Vince and I pitched rehiring my brother, which that was the hardest thing. I showed him all our tag stuff. He really liked it. He liked our look. You know, we're two Persian brothers. Even though he's five years older, we're roughly the same height. You know, when I shaved my head bald, we looked very similar. He liked the look and everything. The hurdle was just hiring a new talent, just getting someone new or getting someone hired. You know, Vince seemed to always just want to work with the guys who are already there. So asking to bring someone back in, that was kind of the tough sell and it didn't happen. But I really wish we would have got tagged together. And when I left WWE, he hadn't got hired back yet as a producer. He was, it was still kind of during the end of COVID or whatever. So he was still working with Impact, I believe. So we kind of started talking like, ooh, this might be it. Maybe we'll do it at Impact. Maybe AEW would be interested. You know, I don't think about it too much anymore, but I'm still holding on to a little bit of hope that somewhere we'll get to tag together. on Because people who do know, he's still in incredible shape. 
My brother is like the most jacked producer in the world. Like if he took his shirt off right now, he could he could walk out on television right now. People would be like, holy shit. Like that's a pro wrestler ready to go. I don't know. Have you seen Pat Buck? Yeah, <laughs> right. Pat Buck's <laughs> jacked too. He's a very underrated body guy. Yes. But yeah, I'm holding out to just a little bit of hope that somewhere sometime me and my brother will still get to have that good long tag team run. So I'm jealous of all the guys who got to do that with their, you know, get the young bucks, Dante and Darius. I'm like, God, oh, that's gotta be, that's probably gotta be so fun. Like tagging with your brother week in and week out on television. So hopefully someday it still happens. All right. This question comes from Derek Lockwood. Did you choose your own entrance music? And if so, uh, why did you choose that music? I did not choose my own entrance music. That was another part. So when I mentioned earlier that, uh, Tony Khan was a fan of Ari Gold and the show Entourage. The music was his idea as well, too, because I watched the Entourage show. I remember that Jane's Addiction song. And uh, the first time I heard it, I was like, at first, I thought, I'm like, did he really buy the song? And then I heard it. I was like, oh, no. So <laughs> Mikey Ruckus just did a really good job of making a song that's very similar. And I love it. Again, going back to being a fan of WCW, like WCW had a lot of like parodies or riffs of like real songs. Right. So the fact that I kind of have that of a real song is just kind of a cool little moment. So actually, I really, really like the Trustbuster song. So I know uh, the Orlando dark crowd had to hear it like 500 times. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So they were kind of like this song again. Damn it. Oh my God. That was so great. So, so for those that, that don't know, we film like four episodes of dark all in one sitting. Orlando is a very long day and big props to our fans for sitting through all of that. Cause a lot of those guys come back for the second session. Yeah. And I remember like, as the day went on, every time the hook of that song started, you just see yeah. this like, oh, these, uh, these guys, guys again. again. <laughs> like, hey, we got, a, we got a lot of members. We got a lot of tag matches, singles matches, trios matches. We got to manage. Like, you're, you're in for a long, long night tight with the trust busters. Right. And it's like, well, it's like we're filming four weeks of TV. So it's like right, yeah. this, this, you, you didn't see these guys in the same. And it's like, it's one of those like kayfabe versus not kayfabe things. But it was just so funny because it's like, now you're getting real heel heat just because you're here and working hard. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a question from uh, Ref Aubrey on Twitter. I'm curious to know. What are your goals, both as a wrestler, having already done so much? What do you have left to do? And what are your goals as a coach? I would say my goals of a wrestler is still to get some sort of title, some sort of championship run. I think it's still possible, whether it's a tag team title, the TNT titles, you know, something like that. So I've never actually been someone who's been concerned about that kind of stuff, about having a title or my certain spot on the card or having that specific pay-per-view match. I just always take things as they come. Um, but getting a title of some sort probably just be something I'd like to do. Uh, getting another action figure is definitely a goal of mine. That was a big, a big check mark for me was getting my first action figure through WWE because that was the one piece of merchandise as a kid I was really into. Like I do enjoy video games. I don't play them that much. So that was, it was cool to be in a video game, but. Getting my first toy, that was something I was really very proud of. You know, that's one, that's the one thing I have like displayed in my house because it's also unique. Some people come over like, damn, you have your own action figure, you know, people who aren't wrestling fans. So that was something I was really proud of. So getting another action figure is something I'm really hopefully looking forward to. As a coach, I guess my goal is just to kind of get to know the roster better and everybody's mentality of how they think and how they put matches together. Because one thing that's kind of, I think, tough for some talent and some coaches is this barrier of some coaches just have a specific way that they think wrestling should be. And that's how they take it to every single talent. Hey, you should do exactly like this. You should do exactly this. You should do our talent is so different. Everybody thinks differently. Everybody works differently. So I want to get to know everybody on our roster because I worked a lot with the women's division 
And I noticed that I was like, am I becoming just like the producer only for the women's division? So I, I was the one who asked Tony, I said, can I work with, I want to work with everybody. I love working with the, with the women and please like, I'm not saying I don't want to work with them, but I said, I do need to get to know everybody because there's going to come a time where for some reason I'm not to work with another talent. And if they've never worked with me before, they might be a little uneasy or a little bit hesitant or whatever. So I said, I still need to get to know the roster and know how everybody wrestles. So that was probably the biggest goal I would say is just working with literally everybody from top to bottom of the roster, the men's division and the women's division. All right. Thanks for your time, buddy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. It's great having you on a roster. Great having you as a coach. I sometimes, because I'm a good friend of Britt Baker, I sometimes think, yeah, you work with her. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm in the same camp. No, same just, camp. <laughs> I, lo- I love giving her a hard time, and she loves working with you. So you're doing a great job. So yeah. I, I really enjoy working with Britt, too, because she's someone who's very, very in tune with her character. And yeah. I, really, I really enjoy that. So that's the thing for a producer. When you're given a very blank canvas, at least for me, sometimes it's kind of hard to work with because you have to think of everything. Right. Britt's very in tune with her character. So I can think of things or like, I feel like this is something Britt Baker would do. This is something Britt Baker would say. And we'd sit there and we kind of chop it up and she gives her insight. I give my insight. So I really enjoy like how in tune she is with her character. It makes yeah. it very fun for uh, the producer aspect. Well, we appreciate you being with us and uh, continued great luck or good luck in this in this company. We're, Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it very much. Uh, you can follow Ari on Twitter and Instagram at Aria Devari. And you can listen and follow this podcast, AEW Unrestricted, for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great TV shows. And with that, here's Aubrey Edwards. We've got Elevation on Monday on YouTube. We've got Dark on YouTube uh, on Tuesdays. We've got Dynamite on TBS on Wednesdays when it's not baseball season. And then we have Rampage on TNT every Friday. And you can see this guy either on the screen or you see him. I hear him in my ear all the time. He's freaking great. Thank you, Ari, for being here. And thank you, everyone, for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Just got the house now. We gonna turn it up. And make them bounce now Flossing like they bossing in